Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to a bonus podcast of Island Conversations. Normally, you can hear Island Conversations on the radio on Sundays on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX and B97B93, and the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. But from time to time, I will have an interview with somebody and just post it only as a podcast. So that's what this is. We've had so much going on about the pandemic, and there's been a lot of controversy about the State Department of Health and Governor Ige and how they've been handling the coronavirus pandemic, particularly with regard to contact tracing. Several elected officials, as well as community members, have expressed concern about what's going on. And one of them is our United States Representative, Tulsi Gabbard. So I gave her a call to talk about what she knows about that and about a few other topics. We recorded our conversation Wednesday, August 19th, around 3 in the afternoon. I'm talking today with United States Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who represents the neighbor islands and rural Oahu in the United States House of Representatives. And she joins her colleague, Ed Case, who represents downtown Honolulu, in both of them representing our state in the United States House. Aloha, Representative Gabbard. Aloha. It's great to talk to you again. Well, I'm really happy to talk with you. And I also want to start by just thanking you. You are doing regular audio town halls. You're talking with guests who are very familiar with the COVID-19 situation in the state. And between you and Dr. Josh Green, our lieutenant governor, you've both been doing updates that have really helped us understand more about what's going on here with COVID-19. And they enhance the press briefings done by the governor and the State Department of Health. And that's really helping us understand the situation better. But you've been very outspoken about how the state has been handling the coronavirus pandemic. You have had specific criticism of State Department of Health and how it's handling it or not handling contact tracing. And you're really not alone in that. You've been joined by not just Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. You've been joined by private doctors, by members of the state House and state Senate committees, by private community individuals involved with health care. So you're sort of echoing or leading what everybody else is saying. And I was really intrigued that today, as we're recording this Wednesday, I got a press release indicating that Anna Eshu, who's a congresswoman from California and chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee's Subcommittee on Health, she's also saying Hawaii went from having the lowest case count in the country to having the highest infection rate in the country, meaning it's very much spreading here. So tell us what you would like to add about what we know, what we should know, what we don't know. Help us understand, Rep. Gabbard, what you know about the COVID-19 pandemic and how our state is handling it. Thank you for this opportunity, Sherry. Uh, This is increasingly becoming a greater and greater crisis on a daily basis. Uh, You mentioned a letter from my colleague, Congresswoman Eshoo. Uh, She's been in Congress now for nearly 30 years. She's the chairwoman of the committee that is responsible for public health in Congress. I shared the situation that was happening here in Hawaii. She had been seeing and hearing about it in the news and 
uh, she sprung into action. I had a similar conversation with Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who I can't even tell you, almost every day in the media, as well as in our Democratic caucus calls, she continues to drive home the importance of contact tracing and testing, along with the individual actions that every one of us can take to look out for one another and try to prevent the spread of this thing. And uh, when I told her what was happening here, she was um, she was unhappy, to say the least, and, and recognized the urgency of, of uh, the need for action in our state to kind of right our course. And so I want to I want to talk a little bit, if I can, about where we went wrong, right? Because it wasn't that long ago, back in May, we were seeing, okay, especially for us here on Oahu and even statewide, we were seeing, okay, hey, zero new cases, zero new cases, one new case, maybe three new cases, but we were in the low single digits uh, for, for a good period of time. And it was during that time that we heard from our uh, State Department of Health leaders, Bruce Anderson and Sarah Park, we heard from the governor, we heard from physicians, we heard from experts. Everyone was saying now is the time that we have to take the opportunity to hire and train contact tracers to build up our testing capabilities, to make sure that we are best positioned to prevent a so-called second wave of coronavirus from hitting us and to deal with it if it does. Now, again, this is back in May. Uh, our entire Hawaii delegation has been working really hard to get more resources to Hawaii. We were able to get over $50 million for this specific purpose alone, for contact tracing and testing that went to the State Department of Health. The governor publicly acknowledged, he said, okay, this is good, these resources will help us. But fast forward to where we are now, even after being reassured week after week, day after day, month after month, that the state leadership had this contact tracing thing under control. They had uh, efforts from community health centers, Tripler Army Hospital, um, uh, other, other health care providers volunteering to help support this contact tracing and testing effort. And all of these efforts were rejected. These offers were rejected because they had it under control. Well, now, as we know, over the last week or two, uh, I had a chance to speak with this whistleblower who's been doing contact tracing before she went public. And the bottom line is we now know that statewide we've had less than 20 individuals doing contact tracing, 20 case investigators doing contact tracing. Now, that number alone means nothing, like 20. How many are we supposed to have? I went and looked it up this morning on the website that the CDC recommends state departments of health to look to to determine how many contact tracers they should have working based on our rate of infection and our population. Uh, and this website is administered by George Washington University, again, recommended by the CDC, According to them and where we are now, we should have a minimum of 1,275 contact tracers, Sherry. Wow. 1,275 for our state. So there's, there's two major points here. Obviously, we are way below what we need. Number two, Bruce Anderson, our state director of health, just said in the press conference earlier, uh, earlier today that the CDC has no recommendations on how many contact tracers we should have here. Well, we got this information from the CDC website. The other point here is that Bruce Anderson said again today, quote, no amount of contact tracing would prevent the uptick we've seen. That is an out-and-out out false statement 
to the umpteenth degree because when we look to countries that have been successful, we look to states and communities that have been successful in containing and defeating this virus, they attribute the central part of their success to contact tracing. Uh, so this is where the heart of the problem exists within our state leadership right now is we have Governor Ige, Bruce Anderson, and Sarah Park all standing around still even now saying, oh, well, you know, contact tracing isn't that much of an issue. Uh, Bruce Anderson said today many states are giving up on contact tracing at this point, uh, completely undermining what, what science has shown us actually works and who suffers as a result. It is our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, neighbors, friends, co-workers, uh, community members who we see are being infected with coronavirus, who are getting sick, who are in the hospital, or who are dying. When this was largely, this, this massive surge we're seeing now, was largely preventable had our state leadership executed on the plan that they said they were going to do back in March when we had almost no cases in our state. Well, Rep. Gabbard, even today in the press conference, the que- there were most of the questions were really focused on contact tracing, because today is the first chance we've actually had a chance to see Emily Roberson, who's a PhD, and Dr. Roberson said we have 126 contact tracers at work in the state, and Bruce Anderson said there are 96 on Oahu, and then there's 30 spread out among the neighbor islands. And when she was asked the question about why are we not getting to at least 500 or 600, which some reporters had gotten from some of those statistics, she also indicated, well, there's, you know, there's not really a firm number. We need to look at it. But I agree with you, Rep. Gabbard. Everything we've heard, and the UH Public Policy Center had done a study, I'd like to say, months ago now, saying exactly what you're saying, that we needed to hire the people then. So it looks like today we actually have about 126 in the whole state. I heard those same numbers, Sherry, and forgive me for being skeptical, (laughs) because (laughs) we've been told that before, not once, not twice, not three times, but many times. And this is where a healthy skepticism is important for all of us, is uh, we, we've had uh, in, in July, there was a week in July where Dr. Bruce Anderson said uh, in the media that, that we have over 100 contact tracers. And that very same week, Dr. Sarah Park went and testified to the state legislature saying, we have 77. Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? Who's making a mistake here? And these numbers have varied so drastically week by week uh, and, and are co- in complete conflict with what the whistleblower came out and reported based on not only who who she's aware of, who she's working with, but based on their caseload. And this is where looking at the data and tracking the data, if they went from having 15 in the state to 126 across the state, I would imagine that would drastically reduce the workload on people like Jennifer Smith, this brave whistleblower. I'm in touch with her every single day. And I tell you what, they are still drowning. She she sends me text messages after she hears these announcements saying, "Where are these people? What are they doing?" So I'm not I'm not calling out Miss Robertson. I'm just saying uh, I really want to see the details of where these people are, and you know, are they still being trained? Are they actually working now? And if so, how is this reducing 
the amount of time that it takes for every individual contact tracer to make those contacts with the positive case and everyone who's been in touch with them. We have to get into the weeds here to better understand if the Department of Health is actually making progress towards doing their job. Well, one of the concerns that Congresswoman Eshoo expressed, that you have expressed, and Senator Brian Schatz has also expressed, our congressional delegation was able to get $50 million for the state, specifically for contact tracing and testing. And even in today's press conference, a couple reporters asked, where is that $50 million? And that's what Brian Schatz said. You know, we have to have some accounting for where it's going. And Dr. Anderson said they spent $2.5 million to get 400 people trained through University of Hawaii, although they haven't hired those people, to my knowledge, since they say they don't have more than 126 or however many they have. How does Congress track money that's given to the states? Because clearly, I'm assuming that you all gave it to the state of Hawaii to be used for the purpose you intended so how are you that's going to make sure? That's sh- exactly right. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to make sure you know where that money goes? Well, Congresswoman Eshoo's letter as the chair of the committee responsible for public health and quarantine, so the, the kinds of things we're facing now is the first step towards exercising that congressional oversight over federal dollars that were issued in an emergency funding bill specifically for this pandemic. These, this is, these are not funds that can be crossed over and used for whatever purpose anyone wants to use in the state. These are specifically for contact tracing and testing. So the actions that she is taking, Congresswoman Eshoo, are the first steps towards getting uh, questions that she outlined in detail in her letter answered and uh, potentially moving that down the line if she is not satisfied by the responses that she's getting or that the state is actually fixing the issues that they have. Uh, This could potentially result in some sort of a congressional oversight hearing and and a calling of witnesses. That doesn't sound good. Bruce Anderson said that there's 30 months to use the $50 million, but I was under the impression that the Federal CARES Act money has to be used or at least allocated by the end of this year. Set me straight. When does this money have to be used? The money does have to be used by the end of the year, My understanding of Bruce Anderson's comments is that the investments that they were making uh, were going to take place over a 30-month period, which doesn't make any sense given we are in the middle of the crisis now, and we're we're not talking about impacts and positive effects that may occur in 28 months or in 30 months. So I, I, I got to dig in more to what he was saying because it didn't make any sense to me either way you look at it. Okay. It's so interesting to hear you say this. I mean, you've had different experiences on Oahu with this, and clearly the lack of understanding is rampant because when I talk with other reporters and I listen to other reporters, we seem to be asking the same questions over and over again every single time. Yes. <laughs> and I'm glad you are. Thank you, and keep asking those questions. It's the only way that you know we, the people of Hawaii, can uh, can both try to get answers, but also to keep the pressure on. You know, we see such a small amount of transparency, which is which is bad on any day of the week, but it's especially harmful when we're in the midst of a pandemic 
where uh, people are being told to stay at home or businesses are shutting down. There's so much uncertainty and fear and concern about health and lives and well-being that that information is truly power. And, and even if it's not what you want to hear, as you mentioned, Sherry, you know, this is why we have these telephone town halls. It's why we send out newsletters. And sometimes the answers I have for people, they aren't good news, but at least we can operate and, un- and know what know what the situation is that we are dealing with and then plan accordingly. And just a brief interruption to remind you, this is a bonus podcast of Island Conversations, which is normally on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on Sunday and always posted as a podcast. I'm Sherry Bracken. My guest today is United States Congress member Tulsi Gabbard, and we're talking about contact tracing in the state of Hawaii. And we will be talking about the post office and about some upcoming service that Rep. Gabbard has with the National Guard. Before we get back to our conversation, a word from our sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. And now back to our conversation with United States Representative Tulsi Gabbard. On Monday, last Monday, in the State House Select Committee on COVID-19, that's what the members of that committee were saying, and that includes Carl Bonham of the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization, Dr. Mark Mugaishi, who's president of HMSA, Ray Vera, who's head of Hawaii Pacific Health, Speaker Scott Psyche, that they really want to get the information from the State Department of Health because they believe people can respond in the appropriate way if we have the actual information. And they have been as frustrated as anybody because they'd like to help with the communication, but they can't get the information either. So I'm glad everybody's on it, and hopefully we'll get I somewhere. Could, I could not agree more. That was very well said. And uh, I, I got a call from a, a local small business owner yesterday just saying, tell me, what can we do? What can we do? And, you know, he wants to start a petition and he wants to organize a hui of business owners. And I just said, do all of it. Do all of it. Because right now, uh, you know, we we in the community, we need to stand up with each other and for each other. Uh, and, and the ball is firmly in the court of Governor Ige and his team. And, you know, in, in situations like this, we have to hold them accountable. Otherwise... Um, we're not going to see the kind of change in, in the responses, really, that, that we need to see. And, and, you know, it'll be easy to kind of sweep things under the rug and say, hey, okay, we're going to deal with something else, when, in fact, these central problems really have not yet been addressed. One thing that Carl Bonham of UHERO, the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization, said, he said, the virus is the economy and the economy is the virus. And there's been a lot of talk about what to do to help our economy right now because people are very, very concerned that we won't have any businesses left. Business owners are afraid. Understanding we need to get a better handle on the virus. What do you think the state could and should be doing right now to help the economy other than trying to get us the accurate information about the virus so that people can monitor their own behavior more appropriately? You know, Sherry, I've been talking about this contact tracing thing since uh, the beginning of this pandemic, the more that I learned about it. 
because I understood that what that professor said is true, that we could talk about reopening the economy or reopening uh, uh, flights to Hawaii, lifting that 14-day quarantine, but so long as we have this virus raging through our communities, people are not going to go out to eat in restaurants. People are not going to feel safe going back about their normal routines of life. Visitors are not going to feel comfortable coming here. So the two are completely intertwined. Uh, in order for us to be able to uh, begin to revive our economy, I would say there are two very important things that need to happen. One we've already discussed, contact tracing and testing must be in place both to deal with the outbreaks that we have now and it must be a robust contact tracing system already in place and working for us to, to be able to lift that 14-day travel quarantine when we're inviting and bringing other people in here so that we can uh, isolate any potential future uh, carriers and, and uh, try to prevent another outbreak in the future. And the second thing is, again, the, you know, there, there, are, there are still federal funds that have been allocated uh, to the state legislature that have not been expended that should be used to provide additional assistance to small business owners and to those who really need help uh, across the state. You know, I, I know we heard some comments from some state legislators a couple of months ago saying that, you know, they were trying to keep a number of these funds in the quote-unquote rainy day fund, and I almost pulled out my hair because if this is not like the biggest rain thunderstorm that we are in the midst of right now, what are you waiting for? I think really that these federally allocated resources, including additional state resources, really need to be put towards helping helping our community weather this storm and, and actually be able to come through and rebuild on the other end of it. I think it's really important now, too, because we have so many people who have not paid their rent, don't have the capability to pay their rent. That's affecting the renters. It's affecting the landlords. And although the governor yeah. has extended that eviction moratorium till the end of September, you know, this is all going to come due fast. It will. And, and this is an important part of the legislation that we passed in the House of Representatives back in May called the HEROES Act, something that had not been addressed before was assistance both to renters as well as landlords, recognizing that, yeah, we can have an eviction moratorium, which is good and it's important. Renters will have the ability to delay uh, payment because they won't have that threat of eviction. But, you know, landlords have bills to pay as well. They have mortgages uh, and, and other other responsibi financial responsibilities to cover. And uh, this bill actually provided significant assistance both to renters and landlords because once once we get to the point where the eviction moratorium is lifted or expires, I don't know a single person who is a renter who will then be able to pay ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in back rent. Of course not. If they didn't have two thousand dollars a month ago, they're not just gonna magically have it when it's needed. Exactly. Exactly. Rip Rep. Gabbard, I want to talk to you about a couple of other things. Is there anything else about how our state is handling this pandemic that you'd like to add before we leave this topic? I really want everyone to be focused on this contact tracing and testing because I, I believe I believe that the people of Hawaii, by and large, are really doing, uh, you know, we're doing our best to do the right thing, uh, to be hygienic, you know, to wear a mask and to continuously wash your hands and, you know, not, not be around too many people. So the more we do our best in the community, the brunt of the immediate action that's needed is this contact tracing and testing. For example, I just spoke to the CEO and her staff of the Queen's Hospital System this morning, and 
it was one of the things she made it a point to mention was we need more contact tracing data. Where are these? How are these people getting sick? How were? What was their exposure? Where did this come from? What are the trends that we should be watching? And this data does not exist uh, in a way that's useful because the vast majority of people who are testing positive and their contacts they're not being reached at all by anyone. So I just want to highlight, uh, underscore, bold this message because this is the pressure that we've got to place on the state leadership to get this right as quickly as possible. Thank you very much. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the post office. And I think as everybody knows, the new postmaster general had started what he says are cost-cutting measures in removing high-speed sorting machines, which makes no sense if you're trying to be efficient, and removing mailboxes. And although in this state, we have not seen that, our post office seems to be pretty well intact. Clearly, nationally, it's a big issue, and it does affect people here in the state. And I'm not just talking about voting, because our mail voting that we had in the primary went super well. People got their ballots in. On this island, there were only 270 ballots that came in after Election Day, so that was pretty good out of 65,000 ballots. But people do still get medication by mail. They get their bills. They pay their bills. They get birthday cards from their grandkids and send birthday cards to their nieces and nephews. What is the House intending to do when Speaker Pelosi reconvenes everybody this Saturday? What are you looking for? I'm a co-sponsor of the legislation, the main piece of legislation that the Speaker is going to be bringing to the House floor this weekend that uh, will very simply mandate that the U.S. Postal Service Postmaster General undo, uh, both stop any plans of dismantling the U.S. Postal Service that he had in place, and also undo some of the things that he has already dismantled, whether it's sorting machines or actual blue boxes that have been removed. The bill says to go back to what the U.S. Postal Service had in place in January of 2020 and to put a pause on any future reforms to the Postal Service until January of 2021. Basically, get us back to the way we were operating before, get us through the midst of this pandemic and this general election, and at that point, we can have a real debate about, you know, what changes and, and innovations the Postal Service can put in place, both to be able to generate the revenue that they need and, most importantly, to deliver upon the mandate and the mission that they have. Now, it'll have to pass the House. Is it going to pass the House? It will definitely pass the House uh, with a... I I believe it will have overwhelming support in the House. It's not going to even be close. My bigger concern is with the Senate. I uh, heard this morning that the Senate leadership on the Republican side is already saying that there's no way they're going to take this bill up. And that's that's really going to be the major obstacle to overcome to try to get this bill on the president's desk. It's really ironic because in the midst of a pandemic, which is affecting Kentucky, which I believe is the home state of the Senate majority leader, it's affecting Kentucky as well. And more people are staying home and more people are actually relying on the mail than I think I've ever relied on the mail before. I, I could not agree more. It's, uh, I, I know we're getting a lot more mail now. We're having to order different things that we might have just, you know, gone down the street to pick up. 
Uh, I think this is something everyone can relate to. And, and I think the thing that, that um, is so unexpected for me about this is, you know, the U.S. Postal Service is as American as apple pie. And it, I thought it was one of those things that, that would be protected from the hyper-partisan vitriol that exists in Washington right now. Uh, but unfortunately, it's, it's, it's more and more seeming that that's not the case. It has become another political football. And, uh, you know, the, the Postal Service, it, it employs, an inc- I think, the more veterans than any other government agency and uh, selfless people who are, are going and delivering us those birthday cards and the medicine and paychecks and Social Security checks. And bills, too, but, you know, (laughs) they do incredible work. Well, they do incredible work, and I know that I've seen it here. People here have been going out of their way when they go to the post office or they see their mail carrier to tell them how much we love and appreciate them. And it's it's especially true on an island that has a lot of rural locations. You know, mail is really critical, and a lot of people don't even have Internet access and they do rely on the old-fashioned method of letters and things like that. So, yeah. And and to say that to say that the U.S. and this is an argument that some people make is that well, the U.S. Postal Service is becoming more and more irrelevant because of the existence of FedEx and you know UPS and, and DHL and these other services. But but you know the the U.S. Postal Service actually does a lot more. Their volume of business is greater. Uh, than some of these other private entities. Number one and number two, uh, the Postal Service is a government agency for a reason. It, it is because we make sure that those who do live in rural communities or remote communities, whether it's here in Hawaii or Alaska or other rural communities across the country, that they're able to get their mail no matter what. And that's the beautiful thing about the Postal Service. And I agree with you. I was in a post office actually in D.C. when I was last there and walked in and had to send something, get it certified, uh, sent certified mail, and uh, all the lights were off. And I asked the woman behind the counter, I said, how's it going? Are you okay? And she said, no, our AC's been out for four days. It's over 110 degrees in the swampy heat of D.C., and so she's just trying to keep the lights off and keep things as cool as she could until they would finally come in and fix the A.C., and you know, they put themselves through a lot just to be able to fulfill their mission of service. And I am grateful to all of them for what they do. Me too. Rep. Gabbard, you mentioned that on Saturday, you will not be able to join your colleagues in the United States House of Representatives because you actually have a second job. Tell us about what you're going to be doing starting this weekend. I am still serving. uh, I'm a major serving in the Army Reserves. And uh, every year, those who serve in the reserves in the National Guard have uh, have uh, usually in the month of August a training uh, requirement, and uh, so that training uh, time starts for me tomorrow, and uh, we'll be headed to a, a very small Alaska Native community in Alaska, actually, to to provide some community uh, development and infrastructure assistance for them for uh, that that training period that we have. That sounds totally fascinating, actually. When you talk about infrastructure... I'm learning a lot. <laughs> what are you going to be doing? There's uh, the, the, the team of people. We're, we're part of a, uh, what's called a civil affairs team, and uh, it's about 12 of us who are from different parts of the country and bringing different uh, uh, expertise and experience in areas like engineering, uh, water supply and development, 
um, communications. Uh, one of the issues that this community has is a, a you know difficulty to communicate. They don't have broadband internet access at all. Uh, water is an issue. Renewable energy is something that they're a- actively trying to pursue, uh, as well as diversification of, of their own economy, which right now is largely dependent on fishing, commercial fishing. And so um, one of the things that I'll be helping with is kind of the interagency work that they need to be able to accomplish this when you're dealing with their own tribal governance, uh, their county, their state, and obviously the federal agencies that are involved in all of these things. When you mention some of the things they need, that sounds a little bit like some of the areas on the Big Island of Hawaii. Exactly. That's what I told them. (laughs) This sounds like some of our own communities here in Hawaii. Yeah, no kidding. Rep Gabbard, before we say aloha, what else would you like to add? You know, there are a lot of challenges that still remain before us. I just want to express my gratitude to the people of Hawaii for allowing me the privilege of serving you. Uh, I'm continuing to do my very best to make sure that uh, your needs are represented, uh, that your needs are served, and that I am doing all I can to make sure that from the federal level we are delivering uh, that we're delivering what's needed to be able to do so. If people want to get on your list to get on those telephone town halls, like I said, they've been actually really super helpful. How do they do that? Please visit my website, gabbard.house.gov. You'll see a uh, COVID-19 resource on the website there, and uh, you can sign up for the next telephone town hall, which should be occurring on either September 2nd or 3rd, uh, and uh, we'll be able to give you all the latest and greatest information. There's also a link there. We send out a very brief daily uh, e-newsletter that gives you what the, what the new numbers for the day are related to COVID-19. Uh, we provide you with whatever information we can gather based on resources available in your county, uh, in each of the counties across the state, Uh, as well as uh, any other updates that we have coming from Washington. Rep. Gabbard, thank you so much for your time. Aloha. Thank you. Aloha. And to our audience, thank you so much for being with us for this bonus podcast of Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahui ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.